So have you ever gone to church? I'm sure this has happened to everybody. And the preacher is preaching maybe on a particular topic and you're not, not really good in that topic. So let's pray. He's, let's pray you come to church and he's talking about prayer and you're like, great, because my prayer life stinks and he's gonna talk about prayer and I have to listen to him. Or maybe a preacher is preaching about uh, gospel-centered biblical marriage and your marriage is in a rough spot and you have to sit and listen to that. Or maybe it's about finances or reading the Bible more and you're like, I haven't picked the Bible up in two weeks and now the pastor is telling me I should be reading my Bible and you just kind of have that sense of guilt. Has that ever happened to anyone? Anytime a preacher preaches on evangelism or world missions, People may feel guilty. So if you feel guilty this morning right now, you're like, oh, he's preaching on missions. If you feel guilty about your lack of evangelistic and missionary zeal, I want to help you be free today and to have peace. That way, you can enjoy your hot dog at lunch today. Because there ain't nothing worse than eating a hot dog at a missions conference when you feel guilty about your lack of evangelism, right? Well, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 31 today, taking a break from our series in the Psalms. So turn there, Deuteronomy 31. Turn there in your Bibles. Let me set the context for you. Moses is about to die. He's 120 years old. I mean, it's time for Moses to go be with Jesus. And so he's commissioning Joshua to take over the leadership of Israel. Remember, they have just come out of 40 years of roaming the wilderness. That's behind them now. And now the nation of Israel is preparing to cross over into Canaan, into the promised land. And what Moses tells them as they prepare to go across is actually the main promise of the Bible. As well as where history is headed We get a preview of eternity here in Deuteronomy 31. More on that in a moment. So Moses tells them that as they go into Canaan, they must remember the one central promise of God's people, and it's this, that God is with them. That's it. That's the the main central promise of the Bible. It's Emmanuel, God with us. And so since today is our annual global outreach missions conference, I got our big idea from a missionary from Bob Osborne. He's the executive director of Surge, formerly known as World Harvest Mission. And he said something along these lines. He said, sharing God's love with the nations is intimately linked to how we experience his love as a beloved son or daughter. That We just sang all that. And we didn't plan it. Did you know that? All the songs, every song that kept coming up, I was like, that's kind of the big idea of the sermon. That's the Holy Spirit. We didn't plan this. Sharing God's love with the nations is intimately linked to how you experience God's love yourself as one of his adopted children. So that means if we are going to share God's love with the nations of the world, we better be receivers of that love. We need to experience that love ourselves or we won't have the desire to share that love with the nations. God's heartbeat is for the nations of this world to know his love, to know as we sing, his heart, your heart is kind. 
God's heartbeat for the nations is for them to know that he's not this curmudgeon, that he doesn't permanently wear a, 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 a frown on his face, but that his heart is kind, and that's what he wants the nations to know. His heart beats for sinners, if you can believe that. His heart beats for sinners in every nation, race, tribe, and tongue. And knowing his heart, and knowing that you are a beloved son or daughter of God Almighty, that is what will motivate you to want to share God's love with the nation. So it's as you rub the gospel into your pores that you begin to desire to share it with others. And that's exactly what we'll see Moses do as he's about to die. He will remind Joshua and company that God is with them. Emmanuel, God with us as we make our way to the nations. Okay, Deuteronomy 31. Turn there if you haven't. We'll begin in verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. For it is Yahweh your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Then Moses summoned Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land that Yahweh has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall put them in possession of it. It is Yahweh who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. I was struck this week that Moses talks to the whole church, if you will, and says, don't be discouraged, don't fear, the Lord is with you. And then he turns to Joshua. You know why? Because sometimes leaders need to hear it a second time. Because we're a little, uh, you know, slow to catch on. So it's like, here, everybody hears it. Joshua heard it. And then Moses looks at him and is like, you really need to hear this. The Lord is with you. So as he's dying, Moses encourages Joshua and the nation to be strong and to be courageous, to not be in fear, to not be in dread, to not be dismayed. Why no fear? Precisely because Yahweh is with them. Yes, they are moving into a scary situation. There were so many unknowns ahead of them. It was a future full of question marks and what ifs. But when Yahweh is with you, when Jesus is with you, question marks and what ifs lose their power. They lose their power over your life when you realize that Jesus is with you. Question marks and what ifs lose their power when you remember that the big idea of the Bible is that Jesus is with us. The promise of Emmanuel puts fear into its proper place. The promise that God is with us and actually goes before us, ahead of us, takes the power away from question marks, takes the power away from what if, what if, what about? And so what we see in Scripture is what always follows the, the command, fear not, is the promise, I am with you, I go before you. So whether you're a missionary in the sense that you go and serve overseas or if you're a missionary in the sense that you're here on the central coast of California sharing the gospel with lost people, whichever one of those you are, you don't have to be afraid as you go out on mission. You don't have to worry about failing at your mission. Isn't that good news? You don't have to worry about that. 
You don't have to worry about, am I going to get the words right? Got to say it right. You don't have to worry about that as, at all as you go out on mission. In fact, you don't have to worry about failing on your mission. You simply share the good news of God's love and the Holy Spirit does the rest. Isn't that comforting? You just share the good news and the Holy Spirit does everything else. Listen, our job is not to convince people, but simply to proclaim good news. That's it. We tell people about Jesus. Our job is not to save people because we can't. Only Jesus can We are just storytellers. That's all we are. We just tell people the gospel story. We tell them that a good God loves bad people so much that he sent his son to live and die for them. And then the Holy Spirit does the rest. The Holy Spirit regenerates the sinner. The Holy Spirit makes them alive. The Holy Spirit saves. The Holy Spirit unites them to Christ. All we do is we're just inviting them to the party. Hey, Do you want to have your sins forgiven? Do you want to be made right with God and spend eternity with him in this incredible party? That's all we're doing is saying, hey, come. You're invited to the party. Do you want to come? And that means you don't have to beat yourself up thinking you did a terrible job in telling people about Jesus. Have you ever done that? The pressure's off. Listen, if you tell people about the real Jesus, then you have done a great job in evangelism. If you share God's love, even if you stumble over your words, you've done what you're supposed to do, which means that if a missionary serves 30 years in one place and sees little to no people become disciples, that is not a failure. They did their job. They told people about Jesus. That's all we're supposed to do. This is one reason why Paul says in Ephesians 6.15 when speaking about the armor of God, he says this, And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. See, sometimes we need peace after we share the gospel of peace, or we failed at an evangelism effort, or failed on some mission trip. Sometimes we need peace after we share the gospel of peace, after what may seem like a failed evangelism effort. Let me ask you, have you ever shared Jesus with someone and you think you failed? Anyone? You ever talk to somebody at work about Jesus and you're like, man, I totally messed that up. It's like you walk away thinking, I should have said this and why did I say that? We've all been there, right? And that's why we need peace, the gospel of peace, when we share God's love with others because sometimes we walk away and we think we failed. Ian Duguid has helped me in this regard. He says this, The gospel of peace enables us to rest even when we fail in sharing the good news. Most of us are not great evangelists. I love that sentence. (laughs) It's true. Most of us are not great evangelists. Continuing the quote, we forget the good news of peace on a daily basis and are often terrified by the prospect of telling others about Jesus. Some of us feel very guilty about our lack of evangelistic zeal. We fear that God must be disappointed with us because we don't spend every waking moment deliberately active in proclaiming the gospel news. As a result, we become spiritual workaholics, driven by our secret fear so that we harass everyone around us with the name of Jesus, or we give up altogether on evangelism. 
convincing ourselves that it is too hard for anyone other than experts. But even while the gospel of peace stirs up our hearts to make us want to share that good news, it also gives us peace in those times when we are unable or unwilling to shout out the gospel. It reminds us that our God reigns in evangelism as he does in everything else. No one will be eternally lost because of your failures or mine. God doesn't give us that power. God created the universe out of nothing. He raises up empires and crushes them with the snap of his fingers. He's certainly not holding his breath to see if you or I will obey him and share the good news so that his plans for world redemption won't be shipwrecked. Isn't that freeing? So if you feel guilty about not having more evangelistic zeal or not being as involved in missions as you think you should be, I want you to rest because God's got this. He's not disappointed in your lack of zeal or because you don't mention him in every single social media post. You still have peace with God even in those times when you are unable or unwilling to share the gospel. Remember, God reigns in evangelism. God reigns in world missions. His kingdom is extending into this world. He will make sure of that. And you cannot sabotage him or his plans. Therefore, rub this into your pores today. No one will be eternally lost because of your failure to share the gospel because God doesn't give you that power. Isn't that good news? That when you didn't share the gospel with someone that they will not be eternally lost because you failed? God reigns in evangelism, not us. Jesus is still the primary evangelist in the church. Jesus is still the primary evangelist on the mission field. And when we share God's love with others, it is his spirit speaking through us. We are just working with him, not for him. We need to get that straight. We are working with Jesus when we go to the nations, when we share the gospel with our neighbors or coworkers. We are not working for Jesus. And that means that the pressure's off. Aren't you glad? Jesus is the one who is actively redeeming his bride from the nations. He is the main evangelist. He is the main missionary. He is making all things new. He is, he's the one turning his enemies into a footstool. We just work with him. So we are just called to share his love with the nations. We are called to offer peace to them, that they can have peace with God, to let them know that God offers them amnesty. And then God does all the rest. He does all of the adopting into the family of God stuff. He, he does all the paperwork on that, okay? We just tell people, you can be adopted into God's family if you trust in Jesus. He takes care of all the paperwork and all the rest, all the regeneration, uniting to Christ, etc., but what do you do if you've lost your desire to work with Jesus? What do you do if you've lost your evangelistic zeal? What, if you, what do you do if you came in here today on Global Outreach Missions Conference Sunday and your approach to missions is kind of like, meh, I'll leave it to the experts. What do you do then? You remember 
that sharing God's love with the nations is intimately linked to how we experience his love as a beloved son or daughter. So before Moses sent Joshua and crew into Canaan, he actually reminded them of their identity as God's kids. In Deuteronomy 14.1, Moses says, You are the sons of the Lord your God. Moses reminds them of their relationship status with Yahweh before he sends them into the promised land. They are sons. They have been adopted into the family of God, and Yahweh is their father. So before Moses ever tells them what to do, he reminds them of who they are, sons of the Lord your God. They are not alone as they enter the promised land because Yahweh is with them. They're not orphans. God will not leave them or forsake them. And understand this, when Joshua and crew entered Canaan, they didn't show up and just start slaughtering people. We kind of have that imagery that, you know, go into the land and everybody pulls out their lightsabers and they're just like, you know, taking out these cities, okay? They actually came and offered peace first. As Moses says in Deuteronomy 20, verse 10, when you draw near to a city to fight against it, offer terms of peace to it. And if those cities accepted peace, if these pagan nations said, well, we'll accept your peace, then Yahweh offered them amnesty and they would be spared. They could put their trust in Yahweh. But if they didn't, then in his own wisdom and sovereignty, Yahweh determined that he would use the nation of Israel as an instrument of justice. And that's why Deuteronomy 31 is a missions and an evangelistic passage. Because this is what we do. We go to the nations and we offer peace to them. Just like Joshua and company went into the Canaan and said, you can have peace with Yahweh. We do the same thing. We go to the nations of the world and say, you can have peace with God. We tell them that God is, off, God is currently offering amnesty to sinners. He's offering peace. It's a peace treaty. And if someone accepts the terms of this peace treaty, if they trust in Christ, then they are spared. But if they don't, they will experience judgment in hell for eternity. So in missions and in evangelism, we are doing what Israel did. We are offering terms of peace to the nations. They are being told that there is a king and he is coming to judge the world, but they can escape that judgment if they turn to Jesus, if they place their faith in him. Scotty Smith said, the coming of Jesus puts all nations on notice. There is only one true king, and he is Jesus. And the coming of Jesus puts us, God's people, face down in adoring love. So when you are face down in adoring love, realizing that God has spared you, that God loves you, that God has forgiven you of your sins, you will feel this pull to get up and go share that love with the nations or share that love with the unbelievers that you know. But sometimes we aren't passionate about this mission, are we? Sometimes we're not passionate about evangelism. We don't want to tell people about Jesus. We don't really care about missions and going to the nations. But that's not surprising even though we are God's children, it's not surprising that sometimes we're not passionate about missions because we are still sinners. Because God adopted us out of Satan's kingdom, out of the kingdom of darkness. That's the shocking nature of the gospel that we take to the nations is that God adopts the devil's kids and brings them into his family. 
So no surprise that we still have some of that DNA of selfishness left in us. I saw some of that in me this morning. You probably didn't because you're holier than I am. But I saw remnants of selfishness in me this morning. That DNA of selfishness is, is still there. It's being purged, but it's, it's that sin nature. Why is that still in us? Why do we struggle with selfishness? Because the kingdom of Satan is a self-centered kingdom. Self is king. Self is glorified. Self is valued in Satan's kingdom. So if we want to combat that, if we want to see God's kingdom advance among the nations, we must radically deal with self-love in ourselves first before the kingdom of God can begin to touch others. We need to deal with self-love in our own hearts before it can make an impact on other people. And the way that we deal with that self-love is to be reminded of God's love as seen at the cross where Jesus died for selfish sinners like us. His love kills our self-love so that we can go share his love. His love for us. We just sang it. He loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Grace is an ocean. And man, we're all sinking. Think of, being, think of being in the middle of the ocean. Just sinking. That's God's love. And when you think about that love and you sink in that love, it begins to kill your self-love, which you have, you need no help with self-love, right? You woke up this morning, I woke up this morning, and we just, oh, we just love ourselves. Just love self. Just love yourself. Can't get enough of yourself. That's how we wake up, right? And other people come along and they get in the way of self and then we get angry. And then we yell and we scream and we fight because self doesn't get his way, right? So the way to kill that self-love that we are naturally wired to do before our feet hit the ground in the morning off our bed, we love us. His love kills our self-love so that we can then go share his love. And so missions is impacted by how much we personally hear and receive the gospel. Think about that. Because most mission sermons just tell you to get involved. You may have come in today thinking, oh, it's a mission sermon and pastor's going to tell me I need to get involved in missions. I know, I know I need to, right? Most mission sermons just tell you, you need to get involved in missions. And sometimes pastors guilt you into it, don't they? Right? A lot of times pastors do that, right? Pastors are really good at guilting people to do things that my hunch is they 100% struggle with themselves. It's just they have the microphone right? There's a reason. You know who Jesus went after the most? Not the sinners, uh, you know, of the day, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He went after the pastors. He went after the religious leaders, the seminary professors, because they knew God's word, and they were living a different way. So, tough for me to read the gospels, because I have to put myself in their place. Sometimes pastors will guilt you into missions. But the biblical gospel-centered way to get selfish sinners excited about missions is to tell them once again about Jesus, the very message that we're taking to the nations. If we're not passionate about sharing Jesus with others, then that's a sign that we need the message of Jesus, the gospel. I mean, think about that. The message that we take to the nations is the message that we need to hear when we don't want to take that message to the nations. And it's very simple. It's Christ crucified for you, a selfish sinner. That's the message that we need. If we don't have a heart and a passion for evangelism, for emissions, then that's a sign 
that we ourselves personally need the gospel and we need to hear it with fresh ears and we need to let it shock us. Paul told the Galatians that the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love and service of others. He said this in Galatians 5, 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. So for Paul, the only thing that counts, the only thing that really matters, Paul says, in your life is faith expressing itself in love to God and love to others. And so how do you get faith? If faith working through love is the only thing that matters, how in the world do I get that faith? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 10, 17. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Well, what is the word of Christ? It's the gospel. So you get faith by hearing the word of Christ, by hearing the gospel over and over again, and then that leads you to love and serve others. You get faith from hearing the gospel. Your faith is increased when you hear the gospel and that stirs you up to say, I wanna go love God and I wanna go love other people. That's the only thing that matters. So today, the global outreach team wants to motivate you. To, you. We don't wanna guilt you into missions, okay? We just want you to soak up God's grace and say, I've got to share this with somebody else. Like you do when you go to a new restaurant and you're like, oh my goodness, it was so good. Right? You find someone, oh, you got to eat there. It's so good. That's, that's what we do. You discover a, a new band that you like. Oh, you got to listen to them. Oh, they're so good. You watch a movie and you, you're so excited. you you got to see it. Like when Obi-Wan came out this, I think it was this past summer, right? Like you wanted to talk to people, right? Did you watch Obi-Wan? Oh my, did you see that lightsaber scene? Right? It excites you. And you want to tell people about it. So we want to motivate you today, the Global Outreach team. Not by guilting you, we just want you to get grace all over you so that you want to share it with other people. We want you to be so overwhelmed that you have been adopted into God's family that you want to share that good news with other bad people like you. So here's what we want to do, and we're wrapping up, parents. Here's what we want you to do today. Number one, pray for one missionary. Get the new uh, directory it's out right back that way on the table by the little missions wall. Get the new global outreach directory. Think about our missionaries. Pray. We just want you to pick one missionary out of this book, just one person, and pray for them. Sign up for their newsletter. Stay in contact with them. Find out what's going on in their ministry. Uh, you might want to support them financially yourself. But just pick one missionary that you want to get involved with and pray. We don't want you to take all 20 plus. Just, just take one and say, you know what? They're mine. They're, so our family's gonna pray for them and you do that. Secondly, we want you to pray for one unbeliever. Find one unbeliever that you know in your life who doesn't know Jesus and just start praying for them. Maybe get a post-it note, put it up in your bathroom mirror or something, pray for Fred or whoever and just do that. So today as you leave today, ask the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you. Say, let my heart be pulled to one of our missionaries or one of our organizations like CareNet or Central Coast Rescue Mission. Say, someone that I'll make them my own and I'm gonna put my energy into this relationship with them. And then put your energy into one relationship with one unbeliever that you know. And you say, you know what, I'm gonna begin praying for them. And that's it. We can do that, right? You can do that. I don't think I have to guilt you into that, right? That's doable. 
And then remember that sharing God's love with the nations is intimately linked to how we experience his love as a beloved son or daughter. It's as you experience his love, rub it into your pores that you think, I want to go share this with someone. We are the objects of God's great affection. We do not need to downplay that at all, okay? We are the objects of God's great affection. Actually, we need to turn the volume up on that, don't we? Because we can never hear it too much. Jesus loves you. Rub that into your pores today. But even though we are objects of God's great affection, we are not the end of God's great affection. His love comes to us, and we should soak it up like crazy. Grace is an ocean, man. I'm sinking. Like, it's just nothing but grace all around for miles and miles and miles. It's an ocean of grace. Soak that up. But then it's supposed to pass through us on its way to the nations. Our faith in Jesus expressing itself in love to God and love to others. So the kingdom of grace does not create some high security gated community of demanding consumers, right? Rather, it creates this dynamic movement of people who want to share God's love with the nations. And as we go about sharing God's love, God is with us on mission. He goes before us and he brings his sons and daughters home. And then one day, he'll come back to be with us forever as Revelation 21.3 tells us, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That's where history is heading. God with us, Emmanuel. So let's join Jesus on mission. This is where history is headed. Let's say, let's work with him, not for him until we get there. So as we close, let me remind you once again, if you're trusting in Christ, you are forgiven. You're forgiven of your selfishness. You are loved with an everlasting love. God's not disappointed in you. You can't earn his love. You can't lose it. You can't mess it up. Go share it with someone today. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are so gracious, that your heart is kind. Your heart beats for tribal people in Africa who wear necklaces that stretch their necks out and carry spears. Lord, your heart beats for tribes that have never been reached down in South America who have no idea about the modern world, who still wear loincloths and carry bows and arrows. Your heart beats for people all around the world, and we want to join you on mission. Forgive us, Lord, because we've been selfish. Some of us have. Others maybe haven't. Just kind of lost focus, Lord. Would you help us to soak up your love today so that it motivates us to get involved in evangelism and missions here on the Central Coast all the way around the world, Lord. Um, Help us to be a blessing to our missionaries. Bless our missionaries who are retiring. Thank you for their faithful service, Lord. May they be encouraged. 
Thank you for all the missionaries that you've given us here at Grace through the years, Lord. Thank you for our global outreach team who worked so hard to put this morning on, God. You've been good to us here at Grace, Lord. We don't want to become a gated community. We want to kick the gates down, Lord, and let your grace spill out into the streets. So help us, we ask. Thank you for loving us. In your name we pray. Amen.